Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 3, verses 8 to 24. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Twenty years ago, my parents were in a car accident that fractured my mom's wrist. And when I say fractured, I mean it was in pieces. Even to this day, after all the treatment that she's had, she still experiences the effects of that fracture. Now, everyone who has ever broken a bone knows that fractures are not a good thing. And what we learn from Genesis is that sin fractures everything, and that is not a good thing. But, while sin does fracture everything, we know that Jesus restores. Let's talk about that first point. Sin fractures everything. At this point in the story of Adam and Eve, uh, they have eaten from the forbidden tree. They've realized they are naked, they've covered themselves up, and then they hear God walking in the garden. They hide themselves from God's face. This was not something they had to do before. And Adam tells God that he hid from him because he was naked. Well, that wasn't an issue 
before they had disobeyed God. But now Adam and Eve are experiencing shame. They've sinned. They have guilt. They have something to hide. And as God questions Adam, Adam has the opportunity to confess and take responsibility for his actions. But instead, both Adam and Eve deflect the blame away from themselves. Adam says, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. So right away, he throws Eve under the bus, even though he chose to eat that fruit. It's not like she twisted his arm. But notice, too, he also blames God, implying that if God hadn't given Eve to him, he wouldn't have eaten. Adam blaming God shows the fractured relationship between God and humanity because of sin. Adam blames God for his own destructive decisions. Does that sound familiar? We've been doing the same thing ever since. Adam blaming Eve shows how the husband and wife relationship is fractured because of sin as well. When you throw someone under the bus, you communicate, they don't matter that much to you. And Adam communicates this to both God and to Eve. Now when God turns to Eve and asks her, what is this that you have done? She essentially says, the devil made me do it. I mean, true, the serpent deceived her, but she made the choice to disobey God all on her own. And so rather than admit their own fault, Adam and Eve deflect blame, showing how sin has fractured relationships. We've been doing the same thing ever since. It's his fault. It was all his idea. I I just went along with it. I wouldn't have said that awful thing to you if you hadn't made me so angry. Excuses like these are used to justify everything from lying to theft to murder. Like Adam and Eve, we blame others to avoid admitting fault rather than admitting the truth. What we did was wrong. And we desperately need God's forgiveness. Because regardless of what another person did, we are responsible to God for how we respond. Sin fractures life itself. You see, as God pronounces the consequences for sin, we see that the blessings he gave humanity in Genesis 1 and 2 are now frustrated. Both the man and the woman will experience pain and anxiety in primary areas of their lives. Being fruitful and multiplying will now be more painful and full of anxiety for the woman. Working the ground and receiving its fruit will now be painful and full of anxiety for the man. The abundance of the garden will turn to scarcity outside the garden as the ground rebels against humanity. Husband and wife will be at odds with one another, each seeking their own way. Where there was harmony and unity before, there will be disharmony. In our marriages, and and by extension, really in all of our relationships, 
we now have to fight against our selfish inclinations that have arisen because of sin in our world and in our hearts. Selfishness is now the default. And selfishness leads to all sorts of things, up to and including war, murder, violence, hatred, genocide. And as God promised, death becomes certain. Genesis 2, 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Despite what the serpent told them, death is now certain for all humanity. We will return to the ground from which we were created. Everyone dies. Now, when God says in this passage, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, uh, in that day is a, is a Hebrew way of saying when. It's not saying that the second you eat that fruit, you will drop dead. That's not what happened, clearly. It's saying at the moment of their sin, death becomes certain, that that will happen. We can no longer eat from the tree of life, which would have allowed us to live forever. Rather, humanity is cast out of paradise. Those who were near to God are now far from him. And we could no longer enjoy face-to-face -face fellowship with our creator in the garden. Nor could we enjoy the abundance that the garden provided for life to flourish. All because we bought the lie that what we wanted for ourselves was better than what God wanted for us. We betrayed the one who made us and everything around us. The only one who has ever been 100% fully trustworthy. We mistrusted. Look outside at the world around us. Did we make the right choice? And yet, and yet, God is merciful and gracious. In the classic movie, Frozen, Princess Anna falls in love with the charming Prince Hans of the Southern Isles. He's kind, sweet, handsome, and as in any classic Disney movie, you expect them to get married and live happily ever after. But in a pivotal scene where Anna needs Hans's true love's kiss to save her life, Hans reveals that not only does he not love her, he is going to leave her to die, kill her sister, and take their kingdom from them, which, by the way, has been his plan all along. Now, once Hans is stopped and everybody's okay, there is no way that Anna will ever let him back into her heart or life again. When someone betrays us so grievously like that, we tend to distance ourselves pretty completely. But what does God do? when humanity betrays him so grievously. We would expect him to abandon humanity and turn his back on us forever, or worse. But the beautiful truth is that while sin fractures, Jesus restores.
Throughout the scriptures, we see God setting things in motion to restore humanity to his presence. Adam and Eve ate from a tree they were not supposed to eat from. But Christ, the Son of God, was hung on a tree to rescue all who would trust in him. One tree earned us death. The other gave us life. Jesus obeyed in all the areas that Adam and all of us after him disobeyed. He goes right where we went wrong. And through his death and resurrection, he opens the door for us to be restored to God again. He takes the punishment for our sins, death. And he gives us the rewards of his obedience, eternal life and fellowship with God. Our sins are forgiven. Our fractured relationship with God is fixed and restored and healed because of him. But still, we live in this very broken world, marred by sin. And it's so easy to look outside or to read the news and to despair because there's so much death and heartache and grief and murder and war and disease. And we might wonder, is this all there will ever be? Yes, we, we can celebrate for millions upon millions upon millions of years that we are restored in our relationship with God, and that is the most brilliant news ever. But will we ever dwell face to face with him again? I've got good news for you. Because of Jesus, paradise lost will become paradise found. Because of Jesus, we will return to an Eden-like paradise with God. The world we have now is not the world we will have forever. At Christ's return, God is going to recreate heaven and earth and dwell with us once again as he did in the garden. Let's jump to the complete other side of Scripture, the complete other end, and read Revelation 21, 1-4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. We get back what we lost. Not because we earned it. (laughs) There's no way we could have. But because the Son of God earned it for us. This all happens on the day that Jesus returns to earth. And on that day, finally, we will once again, as scholar Sandra Richter puts it, be the people of God dwelling in the place of God, in the presence of God. This is what Jesus did for us. This is the extravagant love of God to restore and bring his lost, rebellious children home. 
to redeem everything that was lost because of sin. For every one of us who places our trust in Jesus, this is what we have to look forward to. You want to know what else? That tree of life that we couldn't eat from back in Genesis 3, we couldn't eat from it to live forever, well, that tree of life shows back up. And now we can eat from it forever and live forever because Jesus has erased our sin. That is the reality. That is the future reality that Revelation tells us. Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the God we serve, who though spurned over and over by us, still in his kindness and mercy and love, makes a way for us to live with him again for all who place our trust in Christ. And it all came at the cost of his own son's life, who willingly died to save us and rose again. And in this new heaven and earth, God will be right there with us face to face. There will be abundance where there was once scarcity, healing, no more sickness, disease, war, or danger. We will be with God as Adam and Eve once were in Eden because Jesus had restored us to God. He's already restored us to God through his death and resurrection and at his return. These things will be our reality forever. And so in light of this, let us live with hope in our hearts every day. Let us praise God for his love and grace and let us tell others this marvelous news. For as we await this new heaven and new earth that God is bringing, let us seek to show the goodness of God to others by our actions. Let us show people glimpses of what that kingdom will look like, what it looks like already through how we live as Christians, through how we serve one another and those in need. And let us bring glory to God in all we say and do. Amen.